0: Well, friends, hello and welcome. Uh, We're really at the end of the year here, and we're going to do something different today. This is going to be a very special episode of Coach's Corner. For those of you who have been following my podcast, you know that over the years I've changed the focus of the podcast. I've been looking to do uh, sort of more real-time stuff, and it really was a genesis that happened for me back in 2020. Uh, My buddy who's with me here today, I'm going to introduce him in a moment was here in the studio with me. And we were talking about uh, the shutdowns that were going to happen, the lockdowns in California. And we were both kind of like, "Uh, what happened? You know, we didn't know what to do at that moment. Uh, It was kind of strange. And what ended up happening in the weeks that followed was that my clients started to call me. And I've always been known as a guy who's like, I kind of know what's going to happen, right? Down the road, around the corner. I kind of know what the next step is. And they started to call me. And they were asking, Rob, what do we do? What do we do? How do we survive? What do we need to change? What do we need to do? So I decided that, okay, I need to find out these answers. And my buddy here, he sort of pointed me in the right direction to say, hey, there's there's more to the stories than is being reported in the, in the mainstream media, the narrative, if you will. And that led me down the rabbit hole, which is kind of the entrance to the rabbit hole, if you will. I started to dig and dig and dig, and I started to find a lot of answers for my clients. And what I was doing early on back in 2020, sort of around April or so, I started to do a video a week for them, and I called it my update, my weekly update. And what I was doing is uh, giving them the frame of what was happening There's been so much that's happened over the past two years. We want to start out today, and we want to give you sort of an overview of the last two years. What are the things that have happened? Uh, You know, what are the reactions to those things that have happened? And I'm going back two years. Now, you might say, Rob, 2021, that's enough. It's enough turmoil for one year, right? But I think in my mind, and you could be, you know, different, you could think differently about it, but in my mind, 2020 and 2021, you could group them together, right? Because really, it was a lot of the same thing that happened. And it might've been more intense in 2021. It might've been different for you. Uh, but the, the elements of those two years, I think it's just makes sense to combine those two. Let's go to back at the beginning of what we're gonna call the event, right? And we'll look at the event and look at all the things that have changed. And I had clients who asked me, it's like, Rob, when is it gonna go back to 2019? When are we gonna be? And it's like six months into this. I told them it's not going back, it's too far now. Once you go to a certain point, people don't even remember what it was like in 2019. I talked to clients today. Hey, do you remember what it was like in 2019? No, I don't. Um, it's very different today, right? Things have changed so much that their attitudes are different. Their approach to business is different. Their customers are reacting differently. And we're going to cover a lot of that. We're going to go over it. This is going to be a longer podcast I and mean, podcasts are usually short, like 15 minutes or so. Uh, this one's going to be a lot longer and it's going to go a lot deeper. And I was thinking about doing this and I was on a mastermind call. My my friend here who's with me today uh, kind of called me out and said, you know, you have so much information, so much knowledge that what i was going to do for my annual december 30th event uh didn't make sense this year that we should do something a little bit different so he was a catalyst to creating this what you're watching right here right now and uh, a lot went into it weeks and weeks and weeks of planning and and going back and forth and having phone calls and you know shared notes and and all the rest of it and to kind of come up with uh strategies Solutions, ideas, things you can put into play to help you thrive uh, when we're getting into this new year, 2022. I keep saying 2021 is the new year. I don't know why. It's like the year just went away. You know? But no, we're going to 2022 and uh, trying to keep it all in, in your mind and kind of keep it all straight and figure out what to do. And there was somebody who gave me a great analogy. It's like being in the middle of the ocean in a rowboat. Right, and the waves are coming. You don't know where they're coming. You don't, you, but you're trying to survive. And the waves just keep coming and coming and coming, and that's you know describes the the situation for a lot of people. Now, I know there are a lot of people out there too who are oblivious, not paying attention to any of it, and they're just going business as usual. Well, it's hard to be business as usual uh, in this frame. And what happened for me was uh, when I started to get those calls from my clients, I realized, you know, can't do business as usual. Things have changed too dramatically. So. This is about that change. This is about lessons that we've learned. And the last part we're going to talk about are the solutions, the ideas, the strategies, the tactics that you can use going forward. Now, my special guest, I've been hiding him, right? <laughs> if you've been watching the if you, if you looked at the, the title, you, you already know it's Mitch Axelrod, right? And I had uh, the opportunity to choose from 20, 30, 40 different people I could have invited here. A lot of people emailed me and said, Rob, I'd love to be on your show. I'd love to be on your show. But I really thought about Mitch and I said, you know what? Mitch is the one. And here's why Mitch is the one. Mitch is not the person who will look at the headlines and just accept them. He digs behind them. He wants to find out the reasons why. Just like me, I got to find out the reason why. I know that all news, all media today is headline news, right? Remember CNN used to have that headline news show and it used to be just the headlines and they would go on. It's really not that different today. You know, you think about any story that they're going to tell, they're going to try to tell a national, international story in the segments three minutes. I can't even tell you my experience of going to Starbucks this morning in three minutes. How am I going to tell you an international story in three minutes, right? No matter how good I choose my words. So we're never getting the full story. And Mitch is one of those. And he and I talk a lot about that and going behind the scenes and digging a little bit deeper. We want to know the energies that are behind it. That gives us the opportunity to kind of see ahead, right? A lot of people are just kind of reacting to what's going on. We're trying to stay a step or two ahead of it. And so, okay, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen next, and uh, we're going to bring that to you today in in our own way, our own special way. And Mitch has got a lot of experience, a lot of value to bring. I'm so excited to have you here, Mitch. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Well, Robert, thank you. It's uh, really a delight to be with everybody, and uh, you know, I really feel honored. Uh, you know, I'm I'm kind of like a foil. I'm I'm good at uh, helping stimulate conversation and. Uh, what's really ironic is you refer back to that day in March last year and we were together we were sitting right over there having a conversation we were going to shoot a video and uh, we both kind of came to the same conclusion that something's going on here Uh, we don't know what it is but we got to find out and um, so I went back home and I wrote uh, an article I didn't publish it about what I felt was happening and uh, and for me, uh, it was a strange twist of events because 12 days later, as you know, I had a stroke. And um, we'll be talking a, a little bit about what I experienced and how I was able to get through this time in a very unusual experience. Uh, by the way, I've, I followed that stroke with two brain surgeries in five days. So my life got turned upside down. And uh, I learned a lot. You know. You, um, I like to come to everything in life with a beginner's mind, uh, because there's always something to learn. And even in the dire times and the adversity and the setbacks and life-threatening situations, there's always gold in there are hills. You know, I I've been called the Pied Piper of my family because I'm, I'm always looking for the silver lining. So. I had a very unusual experience. Uh, you can tell by my speech I, I lost I got paralyzed, I lost my speech, I couldn't walk, I couldn't move my arm. Uh, so I had a whole different experience than a lot of people. but I think over the past two years, I think it's fair to say that we've all been traumatized to some degree and uh, and part of what I want to talk about is uh, hope, optimism, possibility. Um, a little light in the world of darkness, you know, uh, because all you need is a sliver of light. And if you keep going to the light, uh, you can kind of move away from the darkness. And so I, I am really thrilled to be here. Uh, we have lots of good stuff to share with you. Uh, and we are going to get to talk a little bit about uh, work and business and, and how you can Attract customers and in, in times like these, and some strategies and tactics uh, as well. So, let's just do. We, we didn't. We either. have
0: a lot. Yeah. yeah, we have a lot to share today, and uh, we're so grateful that you're here and joining us. We are streaming on, I think, nine different platforms right now live, and we're going to be on another 30 different platforms with the podcast later, so we're going to get big distribution. We're not just in the United States. We're overseas as well, uh, so welcome our overseas viewers. I hope you're understanding our English. <laughs> we we'll try not to use our New York accents. We're both from New York. <laughs> we'll try to be uh, a little smoother with the way we speak. Um, I want to get started today, Mitch, by let's go back to that. Uh, You know, March 2020. You and I were in the studio and that was, I think, the day of or the day before Newsom signed the agreement, the the mandate here in California, uh, basically saying with a stroke of a pen, lock your business up before midnight tonight and don't come back until we tell you. Now, I got to say I was shocked, right? That was shocking. Mm. I had no fear about the bug, no fear about getting sick, no fear about any of that stuff. But that one really set me off in a way. It was like, wow, we really serve uh, as business owners. We really serve because they allow us to serve, right? So uh, they can come along and just sign an executive order like that and say, you know, no, you can't open your business anymore unless you're one of the chosen businesses. You're Costco, you're, you know, Home Depot or you're a food store or or that kind of thing. You could stay open. Otherwise, not so much. Hmm. That was scary.
1: I had never, it was unprecedented. I've been in business uh, for 40 plus years and uh, I've lived through all kinds of ups and downs, cycles, real estate booms and busts, stock market crashes, 20% interest rates, um, bankruptcy personally. But I never uh, lived through what we've lived through in the past few years, It's really unprecedented and when something like that happens, because there's, there's, no, there's no playbook, there's nothing to fall back on, you wonder, how do I respond? How do I react? All right. Um, and it's very much, I feel fortunate in a way, it might sound crazy, but I think my stroke happened at the right time. Like if it was going to happen, it happened at the right time because it really gave me a, a chance to step back and look at the whole world and say, all right, there are certain things I cannot control. And how do I deal with the things I cannot control? Do I let myself get frustrated? Do I let myself get angry? Uh, Do I let myself get stressed? And how could you not? And so I think the gift, my my friend Dave said to me, he said, you know, you've got a new book title, My Stroke of Luck, because my stroke actually discovered my brain aneurysm and it would have burst, I would have been dead. Right, So that was very lucky. But then I also thought, well, it was lucky from the point of view that I got a chance to really go inside and say, w- what matters to me? What's important? What gives me meaning? And because I had three hours of rehab every, every day, occupational therapy, physical therapy, I had to learn how to speak again. Um, I was focused on the present. And I think that this whole experience makes the future so uncertain and so hazy and so out of our control that in a way the gift of that is to bring us present and say okay what what is today how am I going to live as fully as I can live today not worry not complain about what I can't do what I don't have so it really was a gift in in a way aside from probably saving my life in another way it kind of gave me a rebirth, a chance to go inside, see what's important to me and see what do I want to do with my time. You know, we, the grains keep falling through the hourglass and we don't know when that last grain is going to drop. And I, the day before my stroke, I was healthy, vibrant. And the day after my stroke, I was a whole different person. And so I think that there are lessons in everything, and that that's what we're trying to pull out is the nectar of the lessons, not dwell on the uh, difficulty, and then look to the future with some optimism, say what's within our circle of control, our circle of influence, and focus on that and and somehow be able to deal with the world but not let the world so much influence us. And that's been a journey for me. It's been work, but it's been worth it.
0: Yeah, and it has been, uh, no question. You know, one of the things I was telling my clients uh, back in March of 2020, April of 2020, was try not to disrupt your daily habits too much. And know, was like, try to do the same thing. You get up at 7 o'clock every day, keep getting up at 7 o'clock, although you may not have any place to go. Do everything you can to keep things as normal as possible because that normalcy gives us certainty. Mm-hmm. And if we don't have the certainty, then we're really thrown. And that was helpful for me. I really did that. I really just maintained you know, uh, the pattern. I actually didn't stop working, although I didn't come into the studio. I had computers at home, and I was you know, getting up at the same time and doing the same hours every day, keeping things as normal as I possibly could because you're right. When things start to go off the rails like that, uh, uncertainty creeps in. And then what happens is people will retract and they pull back from, and you know, they don't know what to do anymore. And it gets worse when you start doing that.
1: Yeah. And, and I had really, uh, I had a time on my hands. Um, I was in, I went from, uh, the hospital to a nursing home and I was in the nursing home right at the beginning of the lockdown. And boy, was that a crazy experience. And I spent nine weeks there. Um, and it gave me perspective, because no matter how bad you think you have it, there's always somebody worse off. And in the nursing home, the wheelchairs, people in the wheelchairs lined up outside the room. It was like parking lot of wheelchairs. And I was the only one. After four weeks, I got out of my wheelchair. I started walking. And I felt like as I walked down the hall, my, the level of empathy and compassion it just welled up inside of me because I thought, here I am, I'm walking. I'm starting to talk again. And these people, some of them are, are, they just sit there like zombies. Other people were sad because we couldn't have any guests. Nobody could come see you, talk to you, hug you, hold your hand. So dealing with all the physical uh, rehab, there was the mental. And the mental was, I think, what what got me through was what the strength I got from the mental to realize, all right, I'm going to keep my eyes on forward on my tasks, what I have to do. I'm not going to let this sadness or disappointment or compassion hold me back. But it gave me a sense of, of no matter how bad you think you have it, I was healthy except I had a stroke and I was paralyzed, but I was healthy. And I thought, wow, some of these people are not going to get out of here. And so, I have this thing on my, I just brought it with me. It's on my refrigerator. I don't know if anybody could see this. It's a compassion exercise. And when I wake up in the morning, I go to drink my lemon water, and I pass the refrigerator, (laughs) and this is the first thing I see. And what it reminds me to do, it reminds me to be compassionate with myself. Uh, That was probably the biggest lesson I had to learn is to be patient with myself, to accept my situation, not be a victim, not complain. And then it says, just like me, this person, think, be compassionate to others. Uh, just like me, this person is seeking happiness in his or her life. Just like me, this person is trying to avoid suffering in his or her life. Just like me, this person has known sadness, loneliness, and despair. Just like me, this person is seeking to fulfill his or her needs, and just like me, this person is learning about life, and that's what I wake up to every morning, and that gives me a sense of all right. No matter what's happening to someone else, you can always find compassion, and to be compassionate to yourself. And I think that that may be the word for me. Uh, you know, everybody talks about what's your word, uh, but that is certainly one of the most important words in my vocabulary. So. I think you know we and all... and
0: honestly it's missing from society now more than anything. I yeah. mean we are we are being divided by uh, so many different things. It's not just politics anymore, politics and religion which is what always divided us in the past, but now it's it's just like one thing after another. You know and, and and it's hard. You know people are like, "Well, you're not on my team, so I I can't talk to you anymore." And people unfriend you on on social and you get hurt by that and it's like on and on. It just doesn't seem to end.
1: You know, what's interesting about that is um, sometimes we we do work, we create things, and we don't know we're creating them for ourselves, right? So back in 1999, I was writing a book called Success Abilities, 21 Life Skills for the 21st Century. And I went to my high school in my town and met with them, and I said, I'd like to present this. And they said, let's do a TV show. And I said, great. So I, we did TV show, went on cable all throughout the uh, area. And as I was rehabbing from the stroke, I realized that I had to go back, fall back on these successabilities, because the first thing was acceptability. I had to accept my situation. This is it. Not the new normal. This is it, right? This is what is now, except the next, responsibility. And that's the big one. So what is responsibility? Well, am I responsible for my stroke? Well, who knows, right? But I'm responsible for my response to it. Responsibility. So in between stimulus and response exists all of life. When you really think about it, think of that. Everything in life is a stimulus. In between your response is a gap. In that gap, you have the ability to choose your response. If you react from the past, chances are you're gonna react with fight, flight, or freeze. If you control that gap, that simple gap, you really can respond to anything in life. And that's what I had to really, really, really work on is my responsibility. Third thing, adaptability, right? There was a study once done that said, what is the single characteristic that is common with people that live to age 100? And they couldn't come up with anything. They couldn't say any one thing. But they said the number one thing of all of them was adaptability, flexibility, the willingness to be adaptable to your – like a tree blows in the wind, it doesn't stay rigid. So you have to be adaptable. And when you don't know, I've never had a stroke before. I didn't know how to adapt to it. We've never been in this kind of situation before where somebody could tell you, close your business and you can't go in and you can't feed your family. And so a lot of the things that I realized I had, I had taught, I had to go back and rely on and actually get through the whole process.
0: What were you talking about with your clients? Uh, if we go back to, you know, 2020. What kind of things were you sharing with them? Because I'm sure you were getting the calls I was getting and people panicked and freaked out. And what do you mean? I can't, I can't run my business. I can't feed my family. Uh, it was uh, scary times.
1: Well, sure. You know, for self-employed people, uh, people run businesses. Uh, many businesses run on thin margins. Uh, and they have to be open every day in the accumulation of a month to make ends meet. Uh, I was very fortunate in that I'm in, the, I'm in a business that could be remote. But think of all the people that serve us who had to be there live. And so when you look at it, you look at the first thing I thought of, which, you know, that's my nature because I go to like, what's wrong here? Um, I thought, well, all these government employees that are getting paid and, and all the authorities who are telling us to shut our businesses, they shouldn't be paid either. Why should they be paid out of our tax money, and while they tell us to close And I thought that's not fair.
0: That's un-American, all right? Well, that brings us that brings us more division, right? That was another another thing that they did, and they said, "Well, we're going to pick and choose the businesses that can stay open." Right. Right.
1: They say a, a trillion dollars of wealth, well, maybe more, were yep. shifted upward. Mm-hmm. So you know, Amazon and Costco and all the big businesses stayed open.
0: They took and, out the little guys.
1: And yeah. from what I, I gather, and nobody really has full st- statistics, but like two million businesses went under. Yeah. So you're talking about twenty million small businesses in America. Two million of them went out of business. That's ten
0: percent. Never to come back.
1: Never to come back. Yeah. So how do those people adapt? You know, they say, Oh, learn to code. Huh. You look you look around, <laughs> and you say, Where are you know, where are the opportunities? Well, I think more and more people are going to say, you know what? Uh, I am going to go out on my own. I'm going to have a side business. I'm going to make sure that I have some control over my income so that if by some chance the things that are out of my control happen, uh, I'm not left in a lurch. And and boy, if this doesn't really speak to having uh, multiple streams of income, where if one is cut off, you can rely on something else. So Uh, I think it's been a convergence of a lot of what's happened over the last 20, 30 years. Uh, And it's going to take a lot of intestinal fortitude, mental strength, um, and physical uh, acumen to get through this. And and so that's why we're here. We're here to kind of give you some uh, hope and optimism and real life strategies as well.
0: I've always uh, believed, you know, that no matter what, it's the entrepreneurial crowd that uh, pulls us out of all these things. Uh, We are the ones who innovate, and you saw that very clearly when everything was being shut down, how the entrepreneurs were still bubbling to the top, you know, Zoom became a big thing, and we replaced in-person schooling, in-person learning, we replaced live events, we replaced so much of it um, with the technology that we have. It's always the entrepreneurial crowd that will find the answers when government puts these these regulations on i just look at them as obstacles they're just more obstacles okay so we've got this obstacle what do i still have available that hasn't been shut down yet and i've been i was advising my clients uh, you know in that direction and saying okay so the business you were doing in the way you were doing it doesn't work right now it, you know there's too many obstacles in the way you're not allowed to do it so let's go look for what does work what can work and I had a lot of uh, businesses shift their their focus uh, and and shift the way they were delivering products and services.
1: Well, that's the nature of the entrepreneur. Um, I remember when you said to me the uh, French derivative of entrepreneur was undertaker, right? I thought, undertaker, really? But anybody who undertakes an endeavor is an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And the number one reason why people get into business for themselves is freedom freedom to direct and control their life, uh, freedom to do what they think they want to do. Um, so inherent in, uh, certainly America, the ethos of freedom, I'm, and that's what drives me. I mean, my number one value is freedom of thought, freedom of bodily movement, uh, freedom to go where I want, when I want. Nobody tell me you go stand in that corner, take your lunch at 12 o'clock. That's my nature. And when when I feel like my freedom is starting to be infringed upon, um, that's worth fighting for, because once you lose the, the first thing they do, they try to take your mind. Now we know you know about mind control, but I think people are less uh, observant of the subtle things that go on every day. So when you're in, you're backed into fear, um, you get to a point where It's easy to control how you think, what you think, and once you lose the capacity to think for yourself, then they go after your body, because the reality is, if they want to break your spirit, and I say they, and this could be anybody, could be your next door neighbor, could be a family, could be a business competitor, in this sense it's a larger they, Um, they always go first for your mind, because they know if they can control your mind, then they can control your body and maybe control your spirit and I feel there's an undercurrent I really do feel there's a spiritual battle here that there are people they're purposely dividing us in in tribal ways and when we're reduced to that fear uh, we tend to be tribal and so what's happening is we're descending into tribalism and I don't mean we're out there beating each other up I mean tribal from the point of view of Are you on my team or are you on the other team? All right. And everything is black and white. And so we're descending into that as opposed to rising into humanism. And the phrase that that I quoted about 20 years ago that's been haunting me ever since, and I see it playing out, and that is insanity and vanity are slowly destroying our humanity. Insanity and vanity. You look at things that are happening now. You can't say that they're they're sane. Vanity. People who make mistakes can't admit their mistakes, can't go back on it, can't adjust, and in the process, we're losing our humanity. And that that's what frightens me the most uh, of everything that's happening. Uh, so. I'm out to save humanity from vanity and insanity.
0: (laughs) I hear you. Yeah. Uh, You know, one thing that I learned from my mentor, Tony Robbins, way back when that served me so well over the years, is that any time you're faced with something that's very complex and the the things we're facing right now are extremely complex, uh, one of the things you need to do is you need to run them through the common sense filter. Right? So you look at this piece and this piece and this piece and you go, well, this doesn't make sense. Things don't add up, right? That's the kind of phrase we've been using for many years. Like This doesn't add up. This doesn't add up. Well, if it doesn't add up, then one of two things are happening. You're being lied to. Or number two, you don't have enough information to know how they're they're linked together. And that's what's been driving me really to to look deeper and look deeper into the, the issues to really see, okay, uh, they're telling me this. This is what I'm hearing over here. And then somebody might be telling me this over here, and these two don't align at all. So their truth, maybe there's a little bit here, there's a little bit there. That means I've got to do a little bit of work. i got to dig and find out. And believe me, it's not easy to do that. I mean, you get so many different sources of information coming at you. It's difficult to figure out what's true and what's not true. And the average person is not going to figure it out. Forget it. We spend way too much time uh, you know, trying to decipher all of this stuff. But always run it through the common sense filter. Uh, you, know, you have common sense. Uh, you know, we, we, are, we can be discerning creatures. Uh, we don't exercise that muscle very much. We're not very discerning sometimes. We just accept what is and, and move on rather than asking questions. And I've been asking a lot of questions over the past few years and uh, getting answers that sometimes I don't want to hear. But at least I'm aware enough to know that, you know, this isn't what I want it to be. OK, what's left? What else can I do? How can I get around it? How can I work through it? How can I deal with it as it comes uh, to fruition? So that's that's a tool that, you know, if you've never thought of it that way, Tony Robbins used to have a, a flip chart on one side of the stage. And he would be explaining something, psychology, whatever. And they'd run over to the side and he said, now we're in the common sense corner. And he would write down what the common sense was. This makes sense. This makes sense. I was like, oh, yeah. Okay. That's a powerful tool that is so um, useful for guiding us through uh, the crazy that we're living through these days.
1: And I think we, we definitely need tools, uh, without a doubt. Uh, one thing that comes up for me in this whole experience is like, how fear can take hold of you. Yeah. Right, and when you get when you get to a point where, where you you're afraid of something, you can't see it, can't can't feel it, but you know it's there. Um, it's as real as if you were jumping off a cliff somewhere. And when people are are in fear, it's very hard to have a conversation because the conversation is dominated by that belief. You know, they, they talk about fear versus love. If you're coming from fear or love, um, and that reminds me of a very important quote that I've been using quite a bit for, for about 15 years. There was a guy named Richard, uh, Robert Oxton Bolt. He was a screenwriter. He wrote, uh, Lawrence of Arabia. Um, uh, what else? Oh, uh, Dr. Zhivago. He had two Academy awards, but he was a great wordsmith. And I'm, I'm a big on words belief. He talked about belief. So get this, this is a very powerful quote. Belief is not merely an idea the mind possesses. Belief is an idea that possesses the mind. Let me repeat that because when I heard this quote, it totally changed my life. Belief is not merely an idea the mind possesses. Belief is an idea that possesses the mind. Carl Jung said... Men don't have ideas. Ideas have men or people, if you will. So when I got to thinking about that, I did a, a coaching session on something I called bursting the belief bubble. And I thought about it and I said, well, what do we do when we have a belief that we believe so strongly that it possesses us? In other words, if you can't laugh at it, challenge it, question it, if you can't have other people criticize it, shine it in the light of truth or whatever, then the belief possesses you, right? And what do you do when you have a belief that possesses you? We tend to defend and protect it. So even when new information comes we don't accept new information if it challenges or goes against what we believe. Now, I'm not saying all beliefs are bad. It's not a question of good, bad. It's who owns the belief or do you own it or does it own you? All right. And when the belief owns you, you can actually take that. You can, there's an old story of the guy driving on the right side of the road. And here comes a Mack truck. He's on the wrong side of the road. But this guy is driving. He said, I'm not going to move. He's, on the, he's in the wrong. And he wound up being right. He wound up being dead right. So what I discovered in this whole process, being right is, is often not that, that important. Because if you defend and protect something that's not loving and serving you. So I have a filter and this is, this is gold. It's also good for business. Why would you hold a belief that doesn't love and serve you or love and serve the people you love and serve? If you have a d- destructive belief, if you have a, a self destructive belief, if you have hate, anger, whatever, and you start to realize that that belief, that you holding on to that, it's like drinking poison and hoping somebody else dies, right? Mm-hmm. So, my son said to me once, Dad, you're one of the only people I know who doesn't really hold a grudge. I said, Yeah, because that's like drinking poison (laughs) and hoping somebody else dies. I said, You dwell on it. The other person's not not thinking. So, why do that? So, that quote really blew my mind. and, And now you can say, All right, if there's new evidence, if there's new input, is that belief serving me, loving me? No. Then why do I hold on to it? Right. So, that was a powerful distinction, and I offer that to, to everybody I work with. To say, look at those beliefs that possess you, and if they're healthy and they're loving and serving you or loving and serving the people you love and serve, great. But if they're not, then you you owe it to yourself to let go or change it, modify it, because sometimes you can hold on to your beliefs so tightly that they literally strangle you, and they prevent you from seeing the possibilities in the world. So that was a really profound uh, quote that I heard from him. You're seeing
0: uh, a lot of that going on right now as people are hanging on to these beliefs. They're being fed whatever they're being fed, whatever information they're being fed. And they don't have the time, the energy, the effort to dig beyond the headlines and, and find out more. And the belief with them, they, they start to hold it. It becomes part of their identity, and then they defend it to the death, literally. And it becomes what we call a conviction. It gets to that level where it's an unquestioned belief. It's, it's, it's part of them. They own it now. And that's really difficult. Uh, you know, you can't have these conversations with someone. If they're over here and you're over here and, you know, you each have convictions, it's like it's only going to result in an argument. There is no, there's no pathway in. There's nothing you can do at that point. And we're seeing that a lot and it's, it's breaking families apart and, and uh, you know, clients are giving up on some business owners. Oh, I don't believe what you believe. You're on the other side of this argument. You know, I'm not doing business with you anymore. Right. And we're seeing that in retail stores. People don't go to some retail stores because mm-hmm. of the way they're reacting to the situations. Like, no, I don't believe you know, you're overreacting. You're doing too much or, or too little or whatnot. And, uh, you know, people are walking away from it. It's very divisive right now. And, and you're right. Compassion is the, the, the pathway out of this moving well, forward
1: you know i've been in business uh i'm in my 44th year i know i don't look old enough but um you look 18 come on uh i've always said that it, the key to business i think again it, just opinion is if you can sit in somebody else's seat walk in their shoes and see through their eyes right so i tried put myself in other people. Now let's face it. I'm human too. And I'm prone to all the human emotions like everybody else. The thing is that, um, when you get control of your mind and your emotions, you no longer let them rule you and, and move you and direct you. It's same thing with emotion, like belief, you know, is the emotion, are you controlling the emotion or is the emotion controlling you? And so, uh, it's hard to have a conversation If one of the two parties in the conversation is unwilling to to switch seats. By the way, I call this the new game of negotiation. Because really, if you look at negotiation, uh, the old game I call it of negotiation was obviously, I'll shoot high, you shoot low, and then somehow we compromise and meet in the middle. But the new game thinking is, no, let's maximize. Let's see what's the highest and best for both both parties, and let's shoot for it. Now, how do you get there? Well, you have to switch seats. If you're willing to sit in my seat and advocate for me, what's best for me, and I'm willing to sit in your seat and advocate for what's best for you, when we get back into our own seats, we have a much better chance of getting to that highest and best than if we're haggling over getting our way, so to speak. And that changes the context of the conversation. So I believe that it's very easy to uh, neutralize the difficulties between parties if you say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to sit in your seat. I want to see the world through your eyes. I want to somehow get inside your head. And I may not agree, or I may, it may be 180 degrees opposite of how I believe or think, but I want to honor you. I don't see that happening today. I see people getting more entrenched in their own seats. Yes, absolutely. And yep. rather than you know walking to the middle ground and making the first gesture, um, they wait and they wait and they wait to see if that's an ally. Are you a member? Of- so we've. Redu- Are you part of our group? Or yeah, not, we've, we we <laughs> yeah. reduced our conversation. Yeah. We've to- become tribal. That's it. We've Really become tribal. That's it. Yeah. And that and that's the whole thing is that as we elevate our interactions, our our relationships, uh, our conversation above ideology and get to real practical common sense solutions, and then ultimately to a a level of humanity, then it's at that point that we'll transcend the differences and realize that at heart we're all human. We're all human. And that's really, I think, a big part of my work going forward is, is to try to Bridge that divide. Uh, to Find a way for people to be willing to hear an opposing point of view. Accept it. You don't have to live it, but acknowledge it. Don't agree with me. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> we can agree to disagree. Yeah, absolutely. And it, then we, we can go out ha- and have dinner, yeah. have a beer, be social. Yep. And, and, uh, and so... It'd be nice to see us evolve. You back know, one to of the that. guys
0: on our mastermind, John. He's he's uh, he knows I'm I'm on one side and he's on the other side and he's like, you are, you're you polar opposite from me. And he reached out and he said, you know what? I'd love to have beer with you or I'd love to you know get on a Zoom call, and have a chat, and understand your point of view. And I said, great, that'd be great. I'd love to understand your point of view as well. And I think that's how we grow. And if we don't do that, uh, you know, that's where that's where the problems are when you don't try to understand the other side of it. It's not that you're right, I'm wrong, I'm right, you're wrong. You know, it's like we, we try to make everything black and white and we forget that there's a whole spectrum of millions and millions of colors in between. And every time we try to make it black or white, we're missing out. We simplify it too much. And then there's a lot more richness to life than just that.
1: Well, when you on that subject, if you look at black and white, it can only be. But when you elevate the conversation, it's like a kaleidoscope of yeah. color, you know, and from my vantage point, uh, I'm not so interested in being right. As a matter of fact, I said the first thing I had to do after my stroke was heal my body and hold my mind. The second thing I did uh, was I dive deep into the ocean, all right, because I want to know what's going on. I had time on my hands, and what I realized is that people can get righteous about a point of view, all right, and then if Anything that challenges that point of view, it starts to challenge their identity. So if, if your identity and your point of view, your belief are too closely aligned, like who you are is not what you do, is not what you think. There are all three parts of you. There's the thinking, the mind, you know, what you do, your body. And then there's the spirit, which is the unique you, all right? I call it soul, role, and goal. And when you start to realize that Well, in the arena of goal, everything is but your goal or no goal. And so if you elevate, just elevate that conversation to beyond black and white, either or, now you start to realize there's a world of possibilities. And so one of the big challenges I think people have is when they descend into that thinking, it's either this way or that way, they lose the possibility that could be both ways. It could be and. So if you're in an or frame, you're going to pick one side or the other. If you're in an and frame, you can find commonality. You can say, okay, what do we agree on? Let's start with what we agree on. Well, we're all human, right? We, we're challenged with the very same things that other people, and start from a higher level of conversation, so that when we get down to ideology, which is black and white, you can say, okay, you can, I can respect your ideology. I could still love you. I could still serve you. I'm not going to obey that ideology, but I'm going to love you and serve you. And so that's kind of how I look at the world. I guess it's because I'm the youngest of eight kids—your, yours, mine, and ours. I was always the peacemaker, but I—I I think making peace is a very noble gesture mm-hmm. these days.
0: Yeah, and and you're looking at—you uh, know—you're looking at so much of the stuff that's going on, and, and people do take sides, and they—they—they they, they get entrenched. And I think, you know, we have these leaders, these thought leaders in our society, and, and often the media end up being the thought leaders, and they're not giving you the full picture. They're giving you the headlines, and people are grabbing on those headlines and go, yeah, that makes sense to me, and they'll just grip onto it without digging beyond it to find out uh, the rest of the story. Who's a who's guy who used to do that, the rest of the story? And here's the rest of the story. Uh, oh, I just his, his name's on the tip of my tongue. Somebody will, will ping us. Um, I will.
1: (laughs) Here's kind of an analogy, I think, what's happening now and um, why it's kind of frightening in a way. And at the same time, uh, when people are willing to dive a little deeper, they see things that they don't see on the surface. Um, And I observe, and it's not a criticism, it's observation. I'm an observer. I try not to criticize. I criticize myself enough. Um, I observe that the world is swimming, swimming on the surface of life. And in 2019, let's face it, that was one of the best years in America, probably worldwide, but certainly here, wages were up, income was up, things were going well. And then all of a sudden, down below, below the surface, as you dove down, which I did, you realize that there are dark forces down there that are affecting what's happening on the surface. But you don't realize it if you're swimming on the surface, because until it bubbles up, it doesn't affect the surface, it stays deep below. Well, what I found as I went down, not too deep, is that there were people controlling certain forces that were dictating whether or not we could do certain things, and they didn't necessarily have our best interest at heart. And I didn't want to get into a long conversation with the people about it, because when you're swimming on the surface, if I'm coming up from deep, um, I can't come up too fast. So I get the bends, right? <laughs> uh, and if I appear out of nowhere and I grab you and I take you down, you know, like uh, that shark by the movie, um, you're going to panic and you're going to flail. You have to you have to go down little by little. Now, I'm a deep diver. That's just my nature. When I hook onto to something that I'm interested in or I find curious or fascinating or counter to my instinct, I want to know what's going on. So I dive in and go as deep as I can until my ears pop and they come back up and they go back down. And so when you're down there, uh, you realize that there are things that you can't say to the people on the surface because they're not either ready to hear it, don't want to hear it. And what right do I have to impose my views on somebody who is not open to hearing them?
0: I yeah, remember, well, you know, you get to the point where you have to wait for them to ask. And when they ask, like I started asking, and you start sharing stuff, and I was like, oh, okay, I didn't know this was here. I didn't know that that, that existed. And I found a whole new world of, uh, you know, looking for news and looking for information that, you know, is not on the surface, is not something that you would see unless you're a seeker, unless you go look for it.
1: Well, and I like answers. I'm bigger on questions, right, because the, the questions, life is in the questions, Once you have the answer, you kind of wrap it up and you put it away and you think you got the answer and you move on. I'm always questioning. I'm even questioning the answers, right? And so uh, what I started to realize is that uh, the answers I was getting back, I I really didn't like. And so uh, it took me a long time to process and I realized, my goodness, I can't just dump all this stuff on people. I have to respect their space uh, respect their place in life, and uh, and so I turn my attention to uh, helping people to see how, how it pertains to their own life. You know what decisions they make, um, and when you think about it, as I mentioned before, stimulus response. All of life is really in controlling that decision gap, and if you're in fear, you're going to react, and when you react. You Not like a truck has come down the road and jump out of the way. You react, you freeze, all right? That happens. Uh, you flight, meaning you go away. Uh, or what else? You fight. So one of those three things. So you, when you look around, you look around, you see people fighting with their family members, fighting in physical spaces, fighting on the street, you know? And I say, what's causing that? Tremendous fear. You know, fear, don't, they don't know how to direct it. Rather than direct it to conversation, investigation, uh, finding out, converse, talking to people, they direct it in an unhealthy way. And that's something I think uh, I've seen way too much of. Uh, that disturbs me that people would feel it's okay to attack somebody. It's okay to go into a store and rob the store. In fact, there was an article uh, about how many major chains – are closing stores like crazy yep. because they can't handle the looting, the destruction.
0: Well, Yeah. They can't lose that, that much inventory. They're paying yeah. for that inventory. And it just, cause it gets stolen. doesn't mean,
1: yeah, it doesn't get paid they for. Have, it. they so for it. there, it's, it's almost as if, um, there's a, a sort of civilization breakdown, uh, and that's got to really stop. You know, it's, and the way it stops is I think having people do things like what we're doing, talking about it, uh, talking with each other about it, finding what's common, ag- agreeing to disagree, all right? And, uh, and somehow getting support. One of the biggest things, uh, the success abilities, if you will, supportability. When you're conf- locked in and confined to your home and you're, I'm, I live alone, so I went through this whole process pretty by myself, um, you start to get crazy with your thoughts and so it's very important to be supportable. And many of us are great. I'm great at support, being supportive. Not so great at being supportable. So I had to learn to rely on my therapists, my doctors, my nurses, my aides. All right, I had to realize that, okay, this is my team now. I'm going to let them help me get well, get healed. I think right now, all of us would do well to, to seek out people that can support you, not agree with you, but support you and help you get through this. The worst thing that you could do is go through this alone and, and it's showing in the stress and the um, depression and everything's showing well, up. Well people so are
0: people are really struggling with the, the isolation. Like you know, I was talking to family members and you could see it on their faces how much they struggle with it. You know?
1: I remember uh, nobody could come visit in the nursing home, but one woman had her son uh, an older son, she was about sixty five, seventy. Every morning he was outside her window because I when I walked, I could eventually walk around the place. And every morning I would see him outside, and he was the only visitor, and that place had about eighty beds, right? So there were like seventy nine people, including myself, that didn't have a single visitor uh, for the length of their stay. Now, it's hard enough to get well to heal. Uh, in that kind of condition, but when you don't have support, when you don't have people to visit, to talk to, yeah. to hug you, to hold you, just to sit with you, um, you can get really lonely yeah. really fast. And I think
0: and then that's, your mind takes over, right? Yeah. And, and that's you have, why yeah. you
1: got to control this yeah. thing up here. You got to. because
0: it'll run wild on you. And yeah,
1: and I yeah. saw that. I saw that with people. And then when I got out, I saw how I had already infected you know, I call it the mind virus. You know, you get an infection in your mind and, and all of a sudden you're thinking crazy thoughts, but you couldn't help it because everybody's so isolated. So I guess it's time to really reach out. If you haven't reached out already, reach out to people that want to support you. Uh, I'm one of them. I'd love to support people. And I'll always talk to family, friends, neighbors, whoever, um, Sometimes you just got to listen. You know, everybody, we're in a talking age. Everybody wants to talk. Not too many people want to listen. I think you could really change a person's life if you just sit down and listen em- empathically.
0: So we have some gifts for you guys. I uh, wanted to share that with you because you know Mitch and I have prepared some stuff. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that. And then we're going to continue our conversation here, uh, talking a little bit of social media and some of the things uh, that we've learned a lot over the past two years. And uh, what can we do going forward? So we've got a lot coming for you. But uh, tell them about what you have to offer. I'm going to put the link up here so people will know where to go. They can go collect their Gifts, there it is, crushit22.com slash gifts.
1: Yeah, uh, mine is kind of a business-oriented gift, although it's uh, useful for anybody. Um, I'm giving away essentially a special report called the Ultimate Profit Model on how you can uh, turn profit in your business, uh, and I recorded a, about a 19-minute video. In fact, I remember recording that video right here, uh, and that's basically how to attract, qualify, convert customers, what I call the new game of selling, and then how to keep, uh, multiply, and reactivate your customers. I call that the new game of service. So if you go there, uh, and then you can uh, fill out an intake form, And I'll look at the intake form, and I'll actually give you a complimentary second opinion uh, on your business. Um, So if you go to the link uh, that Robert gives you, you can download all that stuff and watch the goodies
0: uh, at the site there. Fantastic. That's a great gift. I'm offering a uh, free 44-minute strategy session for business owners who are looking to uh, really figure out what to do. You know, with all the changes that we're facing and all the dynamics that are going to be shifting going forward. Uh, I was listening to some feeds this morning and hearing some of the things that we're going to be faced with in come January, and uh, it makes your head spin sometimes. Um, if you're looking for help with that, if you're looking for help with your marketing, if you're looking for help with, uh, you know, trying to figure out, uh, you know, your best strategies, where should you put your energy, where should you put your money, as far as advertising goes. Um, we can talk about it during our free 44-minute strategy session. There's no charge for it. Obviously, it's free. And I'd uh, be grateful to have an opportunity to chat with you about your business and help you out. So just go to crushit22.com slash gifts, and uh, you'll be able to find that information there. Just sign up, put your email in, and then follow through, and you'll get on the page, and then you can actually schedule uh, your session with me. Now, here's the thing. I've only got room for 25. So once we get to 25, I have to cut it off because obviously I can't spend uh, all that time on, on the phone. So 25 is, is the number. And when we get to uh, 25 people, I'll have to cut it off. But uh, crushit22.com slash gifts. And uh, we'll look forward to uh, meeting with you via Zoom. It'll be fun. I really love, it, love doing that. Okay. Let's go into the next phase here. I want to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, we talked a lot about people being in in different tribes and there's a lot of division. And, you know, I've been unfriended several times on Facebook. People don't believe what I believe and so on and so forth. And my rule on social is I don't unfriend anyone because I disagree with them. Why would I do that, right? I only would unfriend somebody if they personally attack. That's, That's over the line for me. And I think we need to learn to do that. It's so just because we disagree with somebody, we may be able to learn something from them. I'm not saying you will, but there's an opportunity there that that you've leave that door open. So I'll post things on Facebook, for instance, and people will, you know, criticize, and I don't believe that, and that's wrong, and, and they'll say all those things. I leave all those posts there. I let them, I let them you know, speak their mind. It's important to do that. Um, and, you know, I see a lot of other people not doing that. As soon as they get any kind of, like, disagreement, unfriend, unfriend, or unfollow, uh, you know, that's a strange strategy. I don't, I don't really play by those rules. I prefer to have more friends and have a vibrance of, of opinions because what'll end up happening after a while, if you do that, you'll end up in an echo chamber and all your friends are going to be saying and, and believing the same thing. And then you're really deep into your tribe and then you don't really know what's going on over there, right? So imagine for instance, there was no internet and there was no television. And, you know, Europe was very different. It was very different in, in London, right? That, that city was way over there, and it's very different. We had no idea about it. And you take a plane, you'd go over there. It would be culture shock, right? You, what are these people? They speak English, kind of, but it's weird. I've never heard it before, right? And that's what ends up happening if we, we stay too deeply in our tribe. So what I encourage people to do is, is not to do that, is try to have some other points of view. Does that mean you have to change yours? but just have some other points of view so you understand where the other people are thinking and where they're going, what they're believing. Helps a lot.
1: Yeah. um, I'm reminded, uh, I'm a big fan of uh, The Four Agreements. I'm sure a lot of people who are watching this have read The Four Agreements. Don Miguel Ruiz. I had the chance to to be with him for an afternoon. Um, A very sweet man. Uh, And the first agreement is to be impeccable with your word. And, uh, I feel like that is the right first agreement because when you come right down to it, words have power and uh, you know, Mark Twain said the difference between the right word and the almost right word is the difference between a lightning and a lightning bug so picking the right word, choosing your words carefully and when uh, when we're in that frenzied state, we have a tendency to, to lash out and We're not careful with our words. And sometimes you wish you could take it back, and we all face that. But I think it's very important at this stage of the game with everything that's going on is to be careful with your words. Uh, You may not intend the words to sting. It may be just an opinion. Sometimes it's not what you say, it's how you say it. And as I learned raising a child, very often what you look like when you're saying it Uh, You know, if you look happy, you can say something. If you look stern, mad. So uh, the word is very important. And I think it's important to pick words that uh, you want to embody. You know, that's why, for me, things like words like compassion, uh, simplicity, right? The first five words in my book, The New Game is Selling, are simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. Leonardo da Vinci. So if you can make things simple, if you can simplify things so people can understand it, um, it's much it's easier to communicate rather than getting to a long-winded, complex, complicated. So I always look to make things simple. And the other agreement, which was actually the fifth agreement, uh, his son wrote the book, uh, is listen, but be skeptical. Right. And so I like to listen. I like to listen to what people say, what they're thinking, what they're feeling. But I am skeptical. And it's not just because I lived 40 years in New Jersey. uh, And we're all skeptical out there. But in today's world, uh, one of my clients said to me, you know, Mitch, people talk about building trust as being critical. Of course. He said, but, you know, the reality today is you have to remove distrust. There's so much distrust, distrust in our institutions, distrust in our experts. You know, it used to be you look to the expert and you, you say, you got to trust him. And you say, could, could the expert be wrong? How could he be wrong? He's an authority. Well, I learned in the process of, of this journey of mine that autonomy is a higher value than authority. And to me, autonomy is freedom is the highest value. So I question authority. Now, it may be because my father was NYPD. Uh, I always questioned authority. He said, do something. I said, why, right? And he got really mad, but he understood. And to me, it's like, don't tell me what to do, all right? Help me understand what's in my best interest to do. So just by way of your title or your position, doesn't give you authority over my autonomy and that's part of what I see happening today is many people, especially our generation, were brought up to respect authority, value authority, believe in the authority. I happen to be 180 degrees the opposite. I always questioned authority and that worked very well for me because sometimes people with authority, They may have authority in name or title, but they don't have moral authority. And so if you elevate your autonomy and say, I'm not going to let any authority uh, violate my autonomy, I own my mind, I own my body, and I am my soul, and nobody's going to take that from me. And that is, I get almost defiant about that, because if I give up my mind... To somebody or something or a belief, if I give up my body to somebody telling me what I have to take or don't, then isn't that the fastest way to break my spirit? It is. is. And so I'm not going to allow anybody to break my spirit. I've been through a stroke, two brain surgeries, nursing home, (laughs) 200 rehab sessions. I'm not going to let some authority break my spirit. So how do I prevent that? I control my mind and I own my body. And I think that Has been something that's worked for me so far. We'll see if how it works out in the future.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting that uh, you know we've always known that our leaders are have clay feet. I think that was uh, the saying, right? Our leaders have clay feet, feet made of clay. I think is uh, the the way that it was stated, and you know I think we're seeing that now uh, in a way that. I never expected to see it. You know, you get close to, um, it was always for me musicians, right? In the 80s and MTV and such. And the song is so great and so wonderful. And then you look at the musicians, you go, I wouldn't hang out with that person, right? It was always my experience. I really stopped watching music videos because I started to hate music. It really just caused that for me. And you would see it sometimes in our industry, the speaking community. You would see some speakers that, you know, come up on stage and they do their presentation. You think, wow, they're the most amazing thing ever. They're they're so kind and everything. And they're backstage yelling and cursing out their staff. And it's like, okay, they're not who we thought they were. But the leaders that we have today, so many of them, we don't see that. We don't get to see the behind-the-scenes. Media only covers what's on the facade, and you get what you get. But now their actions are really starting to you know, lift that curtain up, if you will. And a lot of people are seeing more and more, uh, like you said, it's like they're in authority, but they have no moral authority. And they're just making decisions and doing stuff for who knows who's behind them, who knows who's pulling the strings. But it's not in our best interest.
1: Well, and that's for each individual to determine or what's in their best interest. But when you, you look at the collective, uh, one of the big distinctions, and I, I've been a student of something called axiology for 30 years. I've been a student and a teacher. Axiology is the science and study of human value. And the premise is that there's three dimensions of value. I use the words soul, role, and goal, love, serve, and obey. And The authority demands obedience. Whether or not it's moral or immoral, the highest value of the authority is obedience, control. Well, that's the antithesis to humanity because humanity is self-control. It's freedom, autonomy over the one thing I own, which is this thing here. (laughs) The authority wants to control it. So when you look at somebody who's an expert or an authority, I personally filter through the lens of what's the motive? What's, what's their purpose? Is their purpose to love and serve their constituency? Or is their purpose to control, to have authority over, to have dominion over? And I don't think I've ever seen such blatant, uh, across the board in so many industries where the authorities have been wrong the experts have have been wrong uh, the facts and data don't line up with the prognostications so if you can't continue to count on the authority for your information for truth for what's real but that authority is filtering the information through a prism of control and domination and direction, uh, you're getting mis- misinformed. And, and so how do you find the truth? How do you know what's real, what's not? Uh, more difficult than ever. And that's why I say, you know, you've yeah. got to dive below the surface
0: or... Yeah, and that you- that's always comes up and you. say, Okay, so we're going to dive below the surface. And then the question then becomes, well, Rob, I don't have time for that. I've got to run a business. I've got to take care of my family. I got this, I got that. We're on that perpetual treadmill. Right. And, you know, you and I, we spend more time probably than we really have to do that to dig below the surface. But I think that's why people hire us in some in some respects is they're looking for those answers that they don't have time to dig for themselves. And I think we've been very good at coming uh, forward and saying, here, this is what we believe. Here's where we stand. And a lot of people don't do that. And then you walk on eggshells around them because you don't know, know what you can bring up, what you can talk about, what you can't talk about. Yeah. It's easier when you know where somebody is and what, what side of all the arguments. There's so many arguments today, so many issues. Uh, it's easier when you know which side they're on.
1: Well, you know, I, I once had an experience when I moved out to San Diego, was going to networking events, and, and I'm not big on that, but I forced myself, right? So I go to one event, and I knew somebody there, so I went, and I met this guy, how are you doing? And he said, I'm having this challenge, and he said what he, the challenge was. And I said, you know might I offer a suggestion? Maybe you could do this. I did it innocently. And I did it in the spirit of good, you know, good neighbor. He ripped me a new one. He said, you don't know nothing about me. Where do you come off giving me advice? It was like, whoa, this is supposed to be San Diego. Everybody's <laughs> supposed to be chilling cool, and cool. But he was right. I didn't ask, I asked him, but I didn't realize, I didn't say, Can I get, offer you something? I kind of just went into it and I realized, you know, nobody has a right to give you advice if you don't ask for it. And it was a harsh lesson I learned because I'm always, you know, sometimes too quick. And I realized that unless somebody wants it, uh, is it really your responsibility to give them advice or suggestions? Or in- So now I ask people, How deep do you want to go? I'm, I'm the dive master, right? You're swimming on the surface. I'll come up to the surface with you and I'll swim with you. And I'll find how much I can say. But if you want to dive and you can't, you don't feel you have the time or the inclination or you're too framed or you need somebody to hold, I'll dive with you. And we'll go at your speed. So if you want to go one level down, you know, 10 feet, we'll look at what's around you at 10 feet. If you want to go into deep waters, I'll go with you. But just prepared. And this isn't anything. This is in business, in life, in conversation, and with your family. I think a lot of issues between people is a breakdown of communication. So you're not getting agreement. Like, do we agree that you want to go down oh, 10 feet? Okay, good. Let's go down 10 feet. No, no, no. I want to stand the surface. All right. So I learned a harsh lesson, but it was a good lesson that it, it's best to ask people how deep you want to go here. You know, <laughs> what do you what do you really want to know? Yep. And like, Are you prepared to find out things that may blow your worldview? And a lot of people I and I can appreciate it. They're not comfortable with going into that
0: conversation. They're really not. And, you know, uh, Tony Robbins had always said, uh, I really like the the way he phrased it. He says, you know, how many psychologists does it take to change a light bulb? Just one. But the light bulb's got to want to change. Right. right? And I've used that. Throughout my entire coaching career, and I've been coaching now since '95, and they always, you know, ask the question. It's like, are you willing to look at this? Are you willing to go here? Uh, do you want help with this? Yes or no. And and sometimes people are like, you know, no, I'm not ready. Uh, I I can't. I don't want to deal with it right now. And I'm perfectly fine with that. I'll just sit back and listen. And that's one of the skills you have to have in, in life is a, be a good listener and and not always be the one talking. So when I, uh, you know, do a lot of the coaching work that I do, it's like they're talking more more than I am. I'm asking questions, I'm learning from them, and then I let them do the talking. And I usually figure out pretty quickly where they need the help to move forward. And, you know, we need to do that more as a society because we're not. We're all yelling and screaming and screaming, this is my opinion, this is my opinion, blah, 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 blah. And the other side's not receiving it anymore. We're not listening to each other anymore. Now We've tuned it all out. Stop. You know, it's like this is what we're doing. And then I think what it causes us is causes us to dig in deeper. You know? Yeah, you
1: get your heels yep. dug in. You dug right? in deeper. Uh, I was on a call. I was being interviewed by one of my clients last week. Um, we were talking about business, but we got into a, a deeper conversation. And we got to the, the topic of selling. right? And I said, "You do you realize that people aren't buying what you're selling? right? Because you're not selling what they're buying. You're selling your product, you're selling your whiz bang thing, all the benefits, advantages. But there's one emotional link that causes everybody to buy everything they buy, except for like, you know, convenience items. And your job is to find out what that emotional link is. And you can't know, you think you're selling something, but they're buying something else. And until you ask all your clients, and this is gold here for you in business. Um, The one question, a million-dollar question, why did you buy from us? Why did you do business with us? When you ask that question, you find out things that you would never know if you don't ask the question. I asked that question to a client in 1993. I was consulting, training big companies. I was five years into the game. I said, you have consultants coming in here all day long. Why did you hire me? He said, Mitch, you are the first guy that came in here and said, hey, break down the walls between marketing, sales, and service. Start talking to each other and realize that it's one holistic process and you should be working together. And he said, and because of that, we're better able to attract, convert, and keep customers. I said, I could kiss you. Can I I use that? He said, absolutely. See, because I think in terms of my products and seller speak, and when he said that to me, it, it was like the golden goose. So when people say, Mitch, what do you do? I say, my clients tell me. I'm really good at helping them attract, convert, and keep more customers. Which of those would you like to do better? and i got that from a client i wouldn't have come, i may have come up with it but the words rang so true and until you know what they're buying you don't know what you're selling and the only way to know what they're buying is to ask them what did they buy and why did they buy it and then you have what i call the usa your unique service advantage which is far more powerful than a USP, which is unique selling proposition, that you go into a room, you create it, you language it, and you throw it out into the world and you hope it hits and then you look around, crickets,
0: right? <laughs> Why? Are they running to the back of the room? Are they buying? Are they buying? Yeah. Are they, are they going there? Yeah. And, and so
1: what I found was if you really want to know what you do, you have to ask the people that are buying what it is you offer and get that language from them. So it changes your whole marketing, it changes your language, and it even changes your value proposition
0: so going forward, um, as we're looking into the the new sphere that is twenty twenty two you know we're close we 're a day away from from that happening uh, if you're looking at everything that's happened over the last two years, all the challenges and and the changes and the and the new direction, the clients changing their buying behaviors and and all the rest of that. If you were to pick one thing to focus on for a business owner, what should they be focused on going forward?
1: Well, if you're an existing business owner, yeah, uh, I hands down your clients, your your customers.
0: Be thankful, first of all, you're still in business. Yes, right? yeah. Uh,
1: I be, I'm not a marketer, really. I never liked marketing; it wasn't my gig, but I love service. And one of the secrets of our success, and I've been able to help companies, entrepreneurs, uh, I've trained a million people, literally live face-to-face or on uh, virtually like this. If you see service as a product and you put your focus on serving people, delivering, loving and serving people, you would be surprised at how your existing customers, past customers can resurrect a business even when it's dying. And most of us, depending upon our business, unless we're retail where we have repeat customers coming in, we're looking for the next new one, right? So as you got a customer, on to the next new one. But every customer has very deep potential. They call it in business, the lifetime value mm-hmm. of a customer. So my business was always, I wanna serve first. And if I can serve first, I will find people who want service I can then sell whatever I sell and turn service from what is in most companies an expense department into a profit center. And that's how I came up with the ultimate profit model. I realized that every business, no matter what, whether you're sitting on your kitchen table or your IBM, you market, you serve, you sell, you serve, all right, marketing expense sometimes very expensive. Sales is revenue, income. For many companies, most I've worked with, service is an expense. So you have two expense departments bookending one income center. That's why salespeople get paid a lot of money. And that's why sales has to do triple duty. It has to pay for the marketing that generated the sale it has to pay something to the company and profit or the salesperson. Then there has to be money left over to serve or service the customer. What would happen? I ask this of all companies I work with. What would happen if you could turn one of those expense departments into a profit center, meaning you could make your service a profit source. That means now you'd have two profits and income centers and one expense transform your business. Take it a step further. What if you get 40, 50, 60, 70 percent of your new business, new income from your existing customers? What would happen to your marketing? You'd have to spend less. The compound effect of two two income centers, one expense, and then reducing the expense of marketing and turning it into income and service can absolutely transform any business, assuming you have customers, Mm -hmm. all right? So that's where I would focus. I would focus on what can we do for our customers, our past customers, engage them in a conversation, ask them why they bought from you, what more do you need, how can we serve you better in the future? Uh, And that's where I would put my attention.
0: So uh, what I'm getting from you is that right now, if you're looking at a lot of the deal that we have to do as far as business owners is we need to take care of our customers better because we're losing them. And they're, you know, what I'm finding is I'm, I'm talking to my clients as well. What I'm finding is it's harder and harder for them to pull that credit card out because their expenses are higher, right? So when gas prices are shooting up like this and food prices are shooting up and rent is shooting up and everything's getting more expensive for them, it's harder to make that sale. So I like the idea, I like the approach of saying, hey, let's let's up the service rather than let's up the hype, right? A lot of companies will go, okay, we need to market more, we need to sell more, uh, we need to make sure we don't lose anybody, let's just push a little bit harder. Um, but I like the idea of, of instead saying, hey, let's give them more service, let's give them more certainty that they're doing business with us and it's going to produce a better result or they're going to have a better experience when they work with us and not with others.
1: Well, when you think about it, um, and everybody can relate to this, right? This time of year, you get bombarded with offers uh, from everybody, and the majority of them are discount offers.
0: Heavy, heavy discounts. Right. Yeah.
1: So, your incentive is like, if we give you it at lesser price, will you buy it? Where I say, all those messages. What if you did a sequence of messages? Hey. Why did you come? Why did you buy from us to begin with? What brought you here? If they're gone, you say, what took you out of the game? And then you say the magic words, what will bring you back? And if they say nothing, all right, well, you're lost. Yeah. But if one or two clients say, you know, if you do this, I would come back. You find out what it, instead of just barraging them with more messages, you know, the, because uh, messaging is cheap and easy. We just figure if we do more of it, you know, it's like throw more spaghetti against the wall. Uh, Make
0: a bigger mess. Go right, ahead. <laughs> exactly.
1: Whereas if you, if you actually reached out and connected with people, and interesting statistic I shared with another mastermind I'm in. Uh, I do be, a lot of B2B selling business to business. And um, there was an article written about why business buyers don't want your content. You know how everybody's pushing content, and I'm big on content and intellectual property, right? So the article said, uh, stop sending content to your B2B buyers. They don't want any more. They want this instead. What do you think the this was that the B2B buyers wanted? Solutions. That was one of them. 65%. The survey said
0: empathy. What? That's out of left field, huh?
1: Empathy. Yeah. I read that and I said, (laughs) wait a minute. I need sources. I want to know what. Sure enough, they're sick of content. They're sick of being pushed. They want somebody to say, hey, uh, I understand your situation. Tell me about what your challenges are. Uh, When I go in to do corporate work, one of the secrets of, of being effective at corporate work is not just finding out the corporate mission. And that's usually easy. The website, whoever we'll you We'll tell to, you. Yeah, right?
0: you'll usually find that there.
1: What I found was much more valuable was to find out the personal agenda of the person I'm talking to.
0: Mm, interesting.
1: So I get into my largest, and when I started corporate training, I got into my largest client uh, by inviting a clerical worker who attended my public seminar. At the end of it, she thanked me, and she says, oh, by the way, I work for this insurance company it was the 12th largest insurance company. I said, well, who do you work for? The vice president of sales. I said, wow, you know, taught me another thing. And this is how I've always been. Um, You treat everybody like a million dollar person. I know some people have said, treat everybody like a million dollar customer. I don't think of them as a customer. I think of them as a person. They have an agenda, they have a life, they have interests. So I took an interest in her, not knowing who she was, because she was in the class, and she came up after me and said, would you be interested in meeting my boss? Ah, yeah, (laughs) right? So, um,
0: go ahead, twist my arm.
1: It's amazing what happens when you treat people like people, instead of prospects, widgets, a database, a list, Um, and again, it's back to humanity, all right? So... We're looking for a return to humanity uh, to realize everybody's got problems, challenges, and as much as— Well, the
0: recognition that right now everything is upside down, right? So we have so much going on, and, and the truth is, is is we do want someone to understand us, understand our situation. We do want someone uh, that cares about the challenges that we're facing because they're they're unique to you, but at the same time, they're not. You have these unique challenges. But then if you look at a lot of businesses across the board, everyone's kind of having the same issues right now. And you need someone to understand it. And it stands out. I don't know how you feel about it, Mitch, but it stands out when you get marketing messages and the marketing message is coming across as if we're still in 2019. Right? It feels out of place now, right? So it stands out like a sore thumb a lot of times because we're not there. Yeah. And, and, again, when you're in uncharted
1: territory, Yeah. Uh, you don't necessarily know how to respond, right? And and so very important to ask people. One uh, of the things that business owners, experts, authorities, uh, teachers, instead of taking the position of a beginner's mind and always seeking, you know, asking questions and seeking, they kind of have a position that I'm supposed to have all the answers, right? So rather than communicate to people and be really curious and interested. They try to be interesting. So they try to you know, tell you all the things they know and they're good at and give you advice. Well, and that's again, the
0: mistake that a lot of them make. They'll talk, 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 talk. And if you're talking more than your prospect, you're not listening.
1: And it's you the know? same thing in, re- in personal yeah.
0: relationships. Yeah.
1: Uh, you know, and I'm, I'm pretty much an introvert by nature. Uh, but I can be with, I can have a conversation. I was thinking
0: about the time we met first time we met we I don't even remember that. we were having dinner with uh, Ken MacArthur at one of the hotels here in San Diego's after one of his events I think you're having the gefilte fish and I was having the macaroni and, <laughs> 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 and yeah, yeah um, it, was, it was you were um, you immediately caught my attention because you're someone who listened you didn't come out and say, here, I'm, I'm great, I'm wonderful. I had no idea who you were. I didn't know all these wonderful things you'd done, but you are a person who listened, and I'm also a person who listens, and we got along really great. And then I was like, hey, Mitch, we ought to do something. And, you know, it started from there. I was about what, 10 years ago now, I'm sure.
1: Maybe longer.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. But, I, but I think that part of it is, um,
1: is being humble enough to, to recognize that uh, it's not whether you have the answers, it's whether you can find the right questions to ask right. that will lead you to the solutions that you need. And sometimes, let's face it, you know, um, one of the things I talk about in consulting is everybody wants to get paid for what they do, obviously, right? But we who have knowledge, and we all have knowledge, but not many of us get paid for what we know, right? And there's a big in, a big industry, obviously, now. It's a trillion-dollar industry, fewer people get paid for what they see. One of the distinctions that I share with people is being a rainmaker, all right? I don't like labels per se, coach, consultant, because they, they narrowly define you. And people have a lockbox in their head. And they say, oh, my, I have a coach. I don't need another coach. Um, but the reality is if, if you don't look at it through the lens of a label, all right, it changes everything. And so uh, I look at it as sometimes you can see something that nobody else sees. And that one thing you see could be worth a lot to somebody who can't see it. Back when uh, 30 years ago, next year will be 30 years, I was the keynote speaker for Brian Tracy International. And it was the year I came out with my first uh, program called 21 Ways to W Sales. He inspired it. So at the convention, I was a keynote. I presented him with the first copy. And behind me on the flip chart, there were words, the mantra, big doors swing on little hinges. That's been my mantra for 35 years. And that was how I started the presentation. And I said that if you look at, the little hinges, so you can't open the big doors. I'm too small to push open the big doors. You find the little hinge that will open the big door. That's, not, that's true for business. It's true for relationships. It's true for anything in life that if you want to open a big door of opportunity, look for the little hinge. One of the little hinges is what you see, yet very few people get paid for what they see. They give away what they see. And I say, if you can get paid for what you know and what you see, how do you get paid for what you see? It's based on the value of what you see is worth to the person you see it for. And so as you start to expand your possibilities, you start to realize, well, I can get paid for what I do, my hands. I get paid for what I know, my head. But I might also get paid for what I see and let somebody else put the price on that. What's it worth you if I see something that could change your life or change your business? What would it be worth you? And Uh, let them price
0: it. Obviously, yeah. And, you know, we talk a lot about you and I when we have a conversation. We're always talking about, uh, you know, what we see coming down the pipe and the things that are happening. And there are companies that need that now more than ever because they don't see it. They don't have time to see it. They don't have time to look at it. And, you know, when I look at, okay, so what do people really pay me for? My marketing strategies? Yeah, for sure. They like that. Um, But oftentimes what I find is when I'm working with clients, they don't need another marketing strategy. They really don't need another marketing strategy. They already have what they need. What they need is some redirection. They need a new attitude. They need, you know, a new way of seeing things. They need to stop marketing the way they were marketing in 1999 and come up to come up to speed with the way uh, the economy has changed. Uh, it's usually stuff like that. And, you know, when you can look at a business or look at any organization and see where the soft spots are, the weak spots are, it's easy, I think, uh, for for us anyway, to look at a company and say, look, you could... You can make another $100,000 a year, another $500,000 a year. Here's $2 million that you're, that you're missing, right? What's that worth? That's worth everything. And you
1: don't know how to price that, you know, because you you're not, you're not you getting don't. paid for time. Yeah. You can see something in five minutes. How do you charge for that? Yeah. You can't charge by the hour. You can't charge by the project because there's no project. It's not
0: a project. Yeah, exactly. It's
1: just, I see it, you know? So there are three things that are really critical to know yourself, and I believe that The most important knowing is to know yourself. Know what you... I call it the ABCs. Attention, bias, clarity. Attention is where you look, right? Now I'm looking into the camera. Now I'm looking at you. Attention is where you look. Bias is how you look. Clarity is how much of what you look at do you see. So if your attention... Is constantly on what you're missing, what you don't have, what you're not good enough yet, right? Your bias is going to turn your attention to, I'm not ready. I don't have enough. And then you start to look at that world, the world, in the same way all the time. If I come along and say, hey, Robert, look over there instead of over there. Now I, I can help you shift your attention. You might see what you didn't see because your attention was so fixed. That's part of helping people see. So like I always use the example of, you know, the goal setters in the world say, keep your eyes on the goal fixated. Don't look to the right or left and just go forward. Right? But what if you have a Learjet right over here waiting to take you to your goal and you can't see it because you, you won't look around you, there no, no peripheral vision, and you're fixated on your goal, and you're struggling to drive and trudging, and there's a limo waiting to take you, and you don't see it, all right? That's bias. And bias, everybody has bias. The key to bias is not not having it. It's knowing what your bias is. I have a bias for looking at what's missing in organizations. You won't hire me to tell, to, for me to tell you what's there. You know what's there. If you want me to tell you what's missing, that's my bias. I'm good at that. I know that. If you know your bias and then you understand whether you have clarity or not and you're humble enough to say, I don't see what I don't see, then all of a sudden you can reach out, you can get coaching, you can get help to shift your attention, to look at a different angle, which is bias, and maybe to clear away the smog and say, "Wow, now I can see what I didn't see before," and and that requires a very important successability called coachability, the art of of willingness to learn. And so, if you're coachable, there's everything in the world for you. If you're not coachable and you insist on doing it by yourself, even when you're just you know in a paper bag and you can't get your way out. Uh, You're never going to have the clarity, put the attention and the bias where where it could help you. So that was valuable input for me and valuable uh, context for my clients as well.
0: Okay. We're coming down to the last segment here. We're... uh... Roughly, I'm looking at the clock here. Maybe 20 minutes left on our our stream for today, and uh, really happy that everyone's uh, still with us and still um, hopefully getting value. And Mitch has really been pushing it out there today. Really appreciate that. Um, let's look at the the last piece that I really wanted to talk about is solutions. Right. We know we've been a little bit here, a little bit there talking about it, but I really want to look at you know, real solutions for people because I know that the, the businesses are uh, – you know, our business owners that I talk to. I, I talk to a lot of professionals and chiropractors and uh, you know, people who are information marketers and that kind of thing, coaches. I look at them and, and they're thinking that because the calendar is flipping to a new year, everything is going to change. I don't see that on the horizon. I see a lot more turmoil. I see a lot more chaos. I see a lot more uncertainty. You know, we're still in the rowboat. We're still in the middle of the ocean trying to survive this. So let's talk about uh, some things that might help people navigate, you know, what's coming. Because you and I, are we're more aware, I think, than most of what what Mm. is coming down the pipeline here.
1: Well, I have a lot of thoughts on this. First, um, we're at that time of year where uh, pretty much everybody is thinking about goal setting. Right. All right. Um, and a long time ago, I came up with a model that I had to come up with for myself. And I realized that a lot of people have goal frustration. They're not where they think they ought to be. And that leads to role frustration. Why do I do what I'm doing if I'm not where I want to be? And that can lead to soul frustration. Like, what's it all mean? You know, why am I here? And so the answer came to me when, one day, when I realized the problem is that we've got it reversed. We do our goal setting and our role becomes to get the goal. And then if we have time left over, we nurture our soul or we pay attention to to our soul. So I realized one day that, well, what if we reverse that process? What if we do our soul setting, then our role setting, and then our goal setting? One of the reasons that there's frustration in the world and, just frustration everywhere Is because there's a misalignment Just like our body I, I had my first chiropractic session Since my stroke A couple of weeks ago And he cracked my back I swear to God My whole body just went limp You know, it was like Crack, 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 crack Because I had all these subluxations Well, I look at soul setting And role setting And goal setting When you have frustration You have subluxations it's either your goal is not aligned with your role, your role is not aligned with your soul, or all three are not aligned together, and you're, you're kind of battling yourself. So I say to people, consider doing your soul setting. Now, that's a hard thing. It's like you got to go inside and see what, what's important to you, what matters to you. Where do you want to spend your time? A lot of people talk, and I do too, talk about ROI, which is? Return on investment? Right. No. Return on investment. But they don't often talk about ROE, return on energy. You have so much energy. Where you direct your energy has a big effect on ROL, return on life. And if you're always focused on return on investment and you're not thinking about return on energy or return on life, you can be very frustrated If you're not getting very much return on investment, goal, which is affecting your return on energy, role, and then it's adversely affecting your return on life, soul. So I say do your soul setting, your role setting, and then do your goal setting in the context of role and soul. And you might find that it totally changes the mix of of how you spend your time and where you spend your time. All right? That was… Just gold that came to me, just you know, magical download from somewhere, <laughs> uh, years ago. <clears throat> uh, the other thing I like to say is uh, about five or six years ago, we sat on this stage as we do every year, and I did a, a presentation on Are You a Jockey or a Horse? B- very powerful distinction. A lot of people are frustrated they're in business they're not doing well or they're not making it or they're not feeling like they're as successful as they'd like to be you have to find out if you're a jockey which means you ride a horse into the money you're a broker you're an employee you're an agent you work for a company the company is the horse all right or are you a horse meaning are you the company and there are four types of horsemen there's the entrepreneur Not the typical entrepreneur. The entrepreneur starts businesses and flips them. Starts. I was an entrepreneur for ten years. I was involved in like ten businesses, right? But the entrepreneur needs the second horseman, a business owner, to run the business. If you don't have somebody running the business, the entrepreneur will run the business into the ground. Then you've got the third horseman, the practitioner. I'm a practitioner. I love the art of the work. Musicians, holistic healers, accountants, uh, massage therapists, lawyers, all practitioners. And many of them don't want to have big businesses. They just want to be practitioners. right? And then the fourth horseman is a free agent. That's the person who will do any kind of job a project, uh, work for a month, take off a month because they want ultimate freedom. Now, You have to decide which of those four jumps out at you as, hey, I align more with the business owner. I want to run the business, one business. I don't want to have 10 businesses. Or I'm a practitioner. I want to do the work. How can I run my practice? And once you decide which of those types you are, then it becomes much easier for you to organize the enterprise around your strengths rather than you being a practitioner trying to be an entrepreneur or an entrepreneur trying to be a business owner or
0: business owner trying to be a free agent. So the real message is you can't do it by yourself. Yes. And that's, that's, I I see a lot of people do that and I do that uh, way too much. I need to bring in more people as well.
1: And you have to know yourself. Yeah. Really, and, and again, back to the sole role goal.
0: If you well, come from, back to the meaning of entrepreneur, right, which is uh, the French word is entrepreneur, which is means, literally means to undertake. So you're actually an undertaker. And as an entrepreneur, we love everything. I love every aspect of the business. I can't decide whether I should be behind the camera or in front of the camera. You know what I mean? I want to be both. And how do I do both? You know? Uh, yeah, that's got to get out of that habit.
1: Yeah, and it's, again, accepting you know yourself for your strengths. Um, And again, I think if people realize what they're best suited to do and who they're best suited to serve, uh, it's easier to formulate a plan than when you're trying to be something that you're not, trying to learn something that you really have no aptitude, trying to do it all yourself. I'm a do-it-all-yourselfer. My dad used to be like, ah, if you want to get something done, you do it yourself. yourself, Right. Right.
0: That's what you're taught. Yeah. But it's an
1: interdependent world and you need Mm -hmm. support. So, uh, those are some things, a few more practical suggestions here along the way.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, yeah, and that's one of the the reason that we're giving away the gifts that we're giving away too is really to find uh, you know where those weak spots are with you and and firstly for me in doing the the session with you is really to find out where your challenge where you're struggling and then offer you solutions in order to move forward and take it to the next step because you know things are uncertain out there you look at the you know logo we have back here you know thriving in uncertain times is really the kind of the theme of what we're talking about here uh, I've been telling my my uh, clients since the beginning that they need to keep focus on the business with a difference now is they need to also be looking over their shoulder. You got to know what's coming and you got to know what's coming over the horizon in front of you, right? These things are coming at us. And, and, you know, for many years, politics for me, it was just a, you know, I, I would follow politics for the marketing Literally, for the marketing. How did they market themselves? How did this president get elected? What was the campaign about? And I would look at all that and I'd get real excited about the marketing and what they said and how they said it, how they positioned themselves and, and all of that. Knowing full well that if you and I were to do marketing like that, it's with the handcuffs on us, throw away the key. You know what I mean? <laughs> because you couldn't get away with that kind of thing. They could do things that, uh, you know, we can't do. These days, I think it's real important to pay attention to it. Because when those decisions are made, those mandates come down, they impact us literally within 24 hours, right? It's not over there in Washington anymore. It's there and then it's here. Boom. Like instantaneously. And you need to know what to do. And one of the biggest skills that you can have as an entrepreneur is flexibility. Right? You can't be rigid in times like this. You've got to be able to move with the, the you know, the, the, it's a dance. And it, we're dancing really fast right now. It's like 120 beats per minute. We're really going. And you've got to be able to to be flexible in that. And I know people who are rigid and they get pummeled. The, you know, the current's just coming, it just pummels them into the rocks rather than being flexible like the kayak guy. And, you know, you're doing whatever you need to do and you, you're jumping over the rocks and you're flying. You're actually enjoying the process. I know some business owners that are enjoying this process because they're getting, more of their, their blood going and they're, they're getting more creative in how they're, they're finding solutions. That's a very rare person that can do that. So if you can't do that, then you need to look for people like us who can, who can figure out for you how to be more creative, how to get out of, uh, you know, what happens after 10, 15 years doing the same thing. You can't even think outside your box because you put yourself in that box and you're doing the same thing, same thing, same thing, same thing. Mitch, what else can I do? I'm doing everything I know how to do. Right. That's why you hire Mitch, right? That's why you bring me on because we can show you things that you haven't considered. And one of the, the great things, uh, really a gift that I think I have in you as well, is we get to see multiple industries. So we can find things that are working in a different industry mm-hmm. and help you integrate it into whatever industry you're in. And I think that's really key today because not one industry has all the answers, right? You can't do what this industry is doing in your industry, or you can't keep doing what you've been doing all these years. You need to find new inspiration, new motivation uh, outside of it. And I think it's, it's a time that is challenging, but is also really good for the creative side of you. I'm very creative. I come up with, with very interesting strategies. You come up with very interesting strategies. And that creativity is really what's being brought out in us. And the reason that I really wanted to do this is because I have found a, a new passion through it all. I found a new voice, something I didn't know was there, right? That as as things get tougher and tougher, I actually get stronger. Right? Who would have figured? So instead of being pummeled by it, it's strengthening me because more and more people now are coming and saying, I need help, I need help, I need help. And I'm saying, I have no choice now. I have to be strong for them because that's these are the people that I'm serving. So I'm looking at that and I'm saying, Yeah, business is going to be really good if you're willing to be, say, strong. If you're willing to be flexible at the same time, it's really interesting to be strong and be flexible, right? You can't be strong and inflexible. A lot of people think, I'm just going to be strong and stand here like a mountain. Boom. But you've got to be able to, you know, dodge the bullets when they come. And if you can do that, I think 2022 could be, could be a much better year going forward. Now, I don't know about you, Mitch, but I'm ready to take 2021 Stick it in a bag, tie it up, throw it in the river and forget about it. Let it go downstream and and move beyond everything that we've we've been through. Take the lessons. We want the lessons for sure. Take the creativity from that and then uh, take it to, uh, you know, whatever 2022 is going to throw our way. You mentioned uh, box
1: thinking, right? Um, One of my mantras is new thinking. When I wrote The New Game of Business about 25 years ago, I came up with the brand New Game. I realized there's a new game of business, right? Um, and I said, what are the elements? Well, there's three keys, new thinking, new doing, and new being. Well, the being part is everybody's individual job, but the thinking part is something that people get into habitual thinking. So my mantra is not outside the box. My mantra is no box thinking, throw the box away. Uh, probably 30 years ago, I started this practice of waking up every day, not with a to-do list, with a blank sheet of paper. I'd get out my yellow pad and I'd say, okay, if I were going to create my day from scratch, tabula rasa, blank slate, how would I create my day? Now I had things to do, but my life wasn't being driven by my to-do list. In fact, I recommended to my partner one time, you should create a got done list. And that's the first thing you should look at every day is your got done list. Because your to-do list keeps growing and growing. And then you forget about all the things you got done. So new thinking is no box thinking. It's not outside the box. If you're outside the box, you're just in a bigger box. You're still tethered to the box. I say throw the box away and, and clean the slate. And sometimes that's scary. Because there's nothing on the paper. That's okay. You might go a couple of days with nothing on the paper. But it's almost like you have to clear uh, your mind. It's like the, the old analogy of the rice bowl. You fill up your head with so much stuff. Sooner or later, you've got to empty it out, create space for new. And so I think that if you can concentrate on new thinking, new doing, and new ways of being, being yourself you know vulnerability uh, authenticity I wrote an article uh, the power of inauthentic authenticity <laughs> you know everybody wants to be authentic you know when somebody's being real and authentic you don't have to put it's
0: coming out more now than ever too we're yeah. seeing a lot more of that
1: than and I think that's the key to business
0: is well m- it is more now More important now, I know we've been talking about it for years, be authentic, be authentic, be authentic. And, you know, you're not authentic when you're hiding your beliefs and you're hiding, you know, because you don't want to offend anyone or you're afraid of what somebody may think. I really have a problem with that because the people around you, you can't have conversation. You can't have deep conversation. And what I find is because people know where I stand on the issues, I'm not afraid to talk about them. My relationships are closer, immediately closer, not weeks months to build it it's like bam oh you're on you're you know part of this and i know where you believe i know where you stand you know and their relationships are very different and there are people who are like i don't you know I hate the way you believe i hate the things you believe and they go away well you know at some point they're never going to be a client anyway they're never going to be a friend they're never going to be close to my inner circle i'm okay with that because now i've got this whole new group of people that have come on board and the relationships are so much more fulfilling
1: you know, it's funny about authenticity. Uh, when I wrote the article, I said, well, if all of a sudden everybody's being authentic, if now you're being authentic, what were you being before you were being authentic? Like, authenticity is not, it's not a marketing strategy. It's just being yourself, and be- your beliefs are part of yourself.
0: I'll tell you what I was doing, and then I think a lot of people do this as well. I was choosing what I was sharing with people very judiciously not to get them to dislike me so what i was sharing i was honest about but it wasn't authentic because you never got to see the whole picture you got this little piece here this little piece here this little piece here those are all true and i was thinking it's authentic but it's not it's honest yeah honesty and authenticity sound the same but they're actually very different and you bring up a good
1: point of uh, one of the things that held me back way back when and i had to wrestle with and i observe it in other people because it's part of human nature Uh, When you seek acceptance, validation, uh, approval, Mm -hmm. right? I'm the Mm -hmm. youngest of eight kids. When I was younger, I was the ultimate people pleaser. I just didn't want to have anybody fighting. Like, you know, I want to be with everybody. But you realize that at some point, uh, you can't strive for approval, acceptance, validation. Um, You have to be strong enough to, to be you. And if somebody doesn't like you for you, that's okay. That's okay. Yeah, that's exactly. actually a good thing yep. because as life, as, as we get more social intimacy is, is disappearing. Yes. And I think this whole movement toward vulnerability, uh, authenticity is really a movement toward intimacy. So when you can talk to somebody at a deep level, And not be fearful of what you want to say or what they want to say. Uh, Like at the surface, you know, that swimming, the deeper you go below the surface, the more intimate you get. So now where everything is is so widespread, you can communicate with a million people. The very same people are seeking to get to know the real you. They want to be intimate with you. And, And you see it in the people who have large social followings. Uh, they tend to be more intimate with the people that. They yeah, they share.
0: With. They share the things they wouldn't normally share, like the little video we did just before coming live here today. Uh, they share the kind of the behind the scenes, and uh, you know, it's interesting because when I built this studio, it was like you never come on camera without a shirt and tie and jacket on. You know, that was during those years when all this online streaming was fairly new still, and now it's like none of it matters. You don't need this studio to do what we're doing.
1: You know? Well, not only don't you need the studio, I've been really reluctant to do videos uh, if I didn't feel I have the right background or a backdrop. And like you look at the videos that people Doesn't put matter. out, and once you get past the environment, you're focused on what, what the person's saying. Yep. And so a lot of the things that we held sacred cows are no longer sacred. Yep. And that's difficult for people of different generations to adapt to. Like, what's going on here? Uh, So there's, again, adaptability. You're never too old to learn new tricks. But uh, like I like to say, you know, I want to teach the young guys some old tricks. Because there are still some old tricks that worked just as well as new tricks. All right,
0: let's talk about your free gift again. We have a few minutes here. Let's talk about what you're offering because I think that's important to to share that.
1: Uh, Ultimately, I'm offering a second opinion, but to get to the second opinion, uh, you're gonna watch a 19-minute video where I explain the six leverage points in the business, how you can attract, qualify, convert, keep, multiply, and reactivate customers. Uh, You get to download my special report called The Ultimate Profit Model um, and understand how you can deploy it in your business. And then if you fill out an intake form when you get there and and do your homework, uh, I'll check it out and uh, I'll get back to you and offer you a second opinion as to whatever your major challenge or question might be. So normally we charge $1,000 for that. but be in the spirit of the season and uh, to help as many people as I can, uh, for a limited time, we'll be offering second opinion. So uh, go to that page, click on the link that Robert provided for you, and you'll get redirected right there. there. Oh, there you it is. You can see it right there on the screen. It's right on the screen. <laughs> I got this little camera I'm looking at. Uh, you don't know how difficult it is to stay focused. On' not seeing yourself when you're behind a camera and be distracted to look where you're not supposed to look. So this is a very good lesson in paying attention to the right <laughs> bias. Uh, so that's my gifts.
0: So go to Crush it. 22.com slash gifts and you will get it for those podcast listeners who are listening and not watching the video. They can't see it on screen. Um, For me, I'm offering a 44-minute strategy session. I've got 25 of them to offer. There's already I could see some emails coming in already. Some people have already grabbed them. But I want you to grab this if this is of value to you, if you're a business owner of any kind, if you're a coach, if you're an entrepreneur, if you are uh, an information marketer, chiropractor, professional massage therapist, whatever, who is really looking at Uh, 2022 and looking at the uncertainty and maybe you've struggled the last two years. Maybe you're trying to figure out new strategies, new things. That's what we'll talk about. We'll get on the phone or actually a Zoom call. Because I like to see who I'm talking to. So Zoom has changed the, the game quite a, quite a bit over the years. And, uh, you know, we, we'll get on, the phone, get on the Zoom call and you'll tell me about your business. Share with me where you're struggling, where your questions are. And um, I'll come back and give you some really solutions and give you some ideas, some strategies that I would use, some things that I would try uh, to help you move forward and navigate. Because, uh, you know, a little creativity goes a long way. And I think that we need to be thinking... Uh, like Mitch says, forget about the box. Let's go think wider, bigger. Let's grab ideas from other industries. Let's grab uh, tools, strategies, and things that are working now. Uh, and, you know, I'm really lucky. I'm really blessed to be uh, working with the kind of clients I work with and that cross so many different industries. And I get to see, you know, what's working over here, what's working over here, what doesn't work there, what, what could work here, and get to mix and match. And uh, it really lends a lot of value to the business owners that I end up doing business with. So, www.crushit.com 22.com forward slash gifts. And uh, you can sign up, just put your email address in, follow through, and then you'll see one for me and one for Mitch. There's two buttons there. Um, just click on both if you'd like, or click on the one that uh, you'd prefer. You're certainly welcome to take us up, uh, both of us up on uh, what we have to offer here. And I uh, hope you'll get that done. Like I said, 25 of them, there's only a few left because people are already grabbing them. So um, really excited to have a chance to work with you. Mitch, we're right about at the uh, two-hour mark. We said we'd do about two hours today, and here we are. This has been uh, tremendous fun. As always
1: with you, Robert. Time flies when you're having fun. I want to say one thing. I could say a lot of things, but...
0: um, We could go another hour, couldn't we? Yeah, we
1: we could. Uh, I want to talk about something I really feel is important for people to acknowledge in terms of value. You know, we all know about tangible assets, right? Money, gold, silver. But we often overlook our intangible assets. So years ago, I love acronyms. Um, Sandy, my my prior business partner, she used to get frustrated by acronyms, uh, but they're good for remembering things. So I came up, how could I come up with an acronym for this? So I came up with the acronym PRESS, P-R-E-S-S. And I came up with that from Like if you go to uh, gamble and you play craps, you know, dice, and you win on that round, the croupier says, do you want to take your earnings off the table or would you like to press your bet? Press your bet means you leave it on the table and let the money ride. And I thought that's a great acronym. P stands for psychic capital. R is relationship capital. E is emotional capital, S is social capital, and the second S is spiritual capital. Now, you can't put a dollar value and amount on those per se, but when you think let's take just one of them, which we all have in abundance, relationship capital. The relationship capital that each of us have built up over the years goes far beyond the people that we talk to on a daily basis. Uh, I was once doing a book signing in New York City years ago. And a woman who was managing it says, "Uh, could you come over here for a minute? There's a woman who wants to talk to you. I said, sure. I walk up and she said, do you remember me? And I said, honestly, I don't. She says, 20 years ago, you came into our bank and you did a series of trainings. And you said something to me. You said, everybody is a virtual entrepreneur. Everybody is the president of their own personal services company. And that stuck with me. She said, I quit the bank. I started my own business. I live in Pennsylvania. I just drove three hours because I heard you were gonna be here. And I wanted to tell you how you changed my life. I, I was speechless. I'm not, I'm not usually speechless. <laughs> You don't have any comprehension sometimes because you go about your daily routine. You don't know what kind of impact you have, what kind of difference you make to people that you come across, which is why I always try to be gracious as, 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 I, as I can. You never know. Um, and when she said, you know, I drove three hours to be here just so I could p- say thank you and get a book signed, I spent literally a half hour after I was done talking to her I could, it was the most valuable thing that happened to me that day because she said something that was like, I couldn't pay enough money to, to get that. And, and it's in the intangibles of life, psychic relationships, emotional, social, spiritual capital that we have. Everything that you want is in those five words. And if you don't have any money, any, uh, backing, any, you know, prospect of getting, go to your psychic, relationship, emotional, social, and spiritual capital, and you would be surprised at how many of those you could turn into actual real assets. And so, I'd like to, people to really appreciate the value of their intangible assets as well.
0: Very good. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's true. Uh, you know, uh, our friend Ken MacArthur, we have a mutual friend Ken MacArthur, always says you're making an impact whether you realize it or not. It's absolutely true. And, uh, you know, I, I, I run into that, too, in my business, too, people of like I've coached 20, 30 years ago that I didn't remember. You know, I've been coaching now professionally since 95. And, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, you make an impact. You reach so many people. And, you know, doing a broadcast like this, reaching thousands, you know, you wonder how many people are getting value from this and how many lives have, have been changed uh, based on what we've just shared here today in this short little interview.
1: Which is always what, again, reminds me. It doesn't hurt to be gracious to people. Uh, so, you know, there's no reason to be rude. And someone once told me you can tell the size of a person Based on how they treat people that can do nothing for them, yep. you know, and, and I've always believed that every human being deserves respect, appreciation, and uh, and so that's what I try to live out of.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well... I want to say thank you to you for coming here today. This has been a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it's it. And thank great. you to all of you who are watching and are listening on the replay and the, on the podcast. Uh, you know, we really appreciate it. If you'd like to reach out to us, uh, go ahead, crushit22.com forward slash gifts. And uh, we'll be happy to give you some good value. And, uh, you know, you can keep following us, robertimbriale.com or mitchaxelrod.com. It's our websites. And uh, we're real excited to see what 2022 is going to bring. Happy New Year, my friend.
1: Same to you. And if uh, you have any comments, please feel free to share with us uh, what you liked, what you didn't like, uh, what you want more of. And who knows? We may do this again.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. We've got the studio. Why not use it, right? Really? All right. Happy New Year, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching and sharing with your friends and followers. We do appreciate it. And uh, we'll look forward to doing this again real soon. Thanks, everyone.